So guys, I was, you know, I talked uh, last week, you know, on the way of the mighty, and uh, it looks like that's kind of going to extend to a three, a three-parter. And uh, today, I want to talk about the way of the mighty, part two. And before I get started, let me, uh, let me pray one more time. Dear Lord, I certainly want to thank you for that praise and worship. I thank you for the spirit, Lord, that you've given Barb to really get up here and lift up your name. I thank you for all the band members, Lord, who give their time and, and effort to play, Lord. It's, it's just an awesome thing that you give us these talents, Lord, and you allow us to return them to you and thanks. It's just a beautiful thing. And, um, Lord, I just ask that you bless your servant as I preach this message. I ask for each one of us, Lord, that uh, you'll open up our eyes so we can see, Lord, really what, see what, what's right here in front of us in, in the Bible and to hear these words. And, Lord, that you'll open up our minds so that we can understand these words and know exactly how to apply them to their lives, to our lives, and to see how they've been applied to other people's lives. And um, But most of all, Lord, we open up our hearts so we will fall in love with you and have no other lovers in this world other than you. For you are, Lord, the greatest thing that this life has to offer. It's in your name we pray. Amen. So, um, last week I started off with this verse in uh, in Isaiah and the reason he, he, he's talking about this is because the context of Isaiah chapter 3 is, look, judgment is about to befall our country. And, you know, why? Because we've turned from God, we, we trust in, in other gods, we trust in idols, we trust in everything. We don't, we are, we've forsaken the first commandment, okay? Have no other gods but me. Okay? And because of this, and because you know, we think we're okay, because we have God included in all of our other gods, that, that we're okay. But he says, no, judgment is going to befall us. And one of these signs, you know, the main signs that, that's going to happen when judgment is fallen upon a nation is the Lord, the Lord of hosts, takes away from Jerusalem the stay and the staff, the supply and the support. The whole stay of bread, the whole stay of water, water will start becoming scarce. All these things that you take for granted are going to start becoming scarce. But the one that I've kind of decided to, to focus in on is the mighty man. You know, men who really step up for the Lord Jesus Christ, the people who step up for God, they will begin to dwindle. You will see less and less of them. No more men of war, no more judges, no more prophets, no more wise or prudent. And, and these, these will just start to, to fade away. And as an example, he goes in um, verse 6 to the next verse. He goes, when a man shall take hold of his, brother, of his brother of the house of his father, saying, look, you've got clothing, you've got everything it takes to lead, and we want you to be our ruler. We want you to step up and deliver us from oppression. Deliver us from evil. And, and let this ruin be under your hand. Take responsibility for this. We believe you've got everything it takes to be a mighty man. You've got everything it takes. But this will be his response in the next verse. In that day shall he swear saying, I 
will not be a healer. I can't heal this nation. There's nothing I can do for in my house. I don't have any of that stuff that you say I have. I don't have what it takes. Make me not a ruler of the people. Please don't put this responsibility on me. I'm not willing to take responsibility. And so there's an example of when a, when a nation is under judgment, when, when it's time for mighty men to step up, they'll give excuses. There'll be plenty of reasons why they can't step up in ministry and can't step up for God. It'll just be excuse-making constantly. And so last week, a mighty man needed to arise. The Philistine giant from Gath came for 40 days and taunted everybody. And all they did was stand there in fear. Everyone in the Israelite army said, no, I don't have what it takes. I can't step up and be this person. Even the king, whose responsibility it really should have been, said, no, I need somebody else to step up and be this ruler and fight this giant and be a mighty man, a mighty warrior, a man of valor. And on that last day, David heard the taunt and he said, I will be the man. And everybody said, you don't have what it takes. He says, I've got everything I need. I need. I've slain the, the bear. I have slain the lion. I know how to offensively approach this giant and slay him. And I will not do it with typical weapons. I will not do it like you think it will be done. But I will do it through the mighty hand of the Lord. And so this week... And probably next week, we look at another situation where mighty men were needed. We needed some mighty men to step up and take control of the situation and rule the people, rule the land, okay? And this is found in Numbers chapter 13. The Lord spoke to Moses saying, send men, men to spy out the land of Canaan, which I'm giving to the children of Israel. It's already yours. I, the Lord, am going to give you this land. From each tribe of their fathers, you shall send a man, everyone, a leader. Okay, You're going to send out these men who are supposed to be leaders among them. But he said, I want you to go spy out the land of Canaan. Now, now this was my starting point. You know, like, I kind of go through this little, um, you know, my system is kind of like, you know, after I preach today, I kind of put my focus on uh, today, tomorrow, and Tuesday, writing my Wednesday morning devotional that I put out on Wednesday morning. And then from that point on, it's all about, you know, the, the, whole, the whole sermon. And so, you know, right after Wednesday, you know, I'm like, man, I just don't know what I'm going to preach about. You know, on Thursday, I'm like, well, I just don't know what I'm going to preach about. And then, you know, Friday... You know, I'm like, well, I was talking about the land of giants. And I remember, you know, they encountered these, in, these giants in Canaan. And so I went to the story to Numbers chapter 13. And so, and, and guys, really, honestly, even up till this morning, I have not made it past seeing men to, sky, to spy out the land of Canaan. I am kind of bad. You know, I'm not much of a hunter, but I chase rabbits when I, when I read the Bible. You know, I might just read, you know, something 
like Matthew chapter 1, so-and-so begat somebody, and it's like, oh, I wonder who that was, and I'll look for them, and then I'll just start studying. I never left the first verse of what I was trying to read. And so I went to the land of Canaan, and I thought, why this land? You know, what's so special about Canaan to make it the promised land? And then I chased rabbits for two days all the way up till this morning, and you get my uh, rabbit chasing trail right here. So, um, let's go ahead and start. Canaan is mentioned in Genesis chapter 9, okay? Next verse. Right, right after the flood, okay? Eight people are saved in the flood. Noah, Shem, Ham, Japheth, their, their wives, right? The sons of Noah who came out of the ark were Shem, Ham, and Japheth. And then right here in parentheses, and you're going to see here, they really want you to know this in Genesis. Ham was the father of Canaan. Okay? So it's the first time we see this guy mentioned. And, you know, like I kind of wish I lived in these old times because then like I would move to this uh, unsettled land or something and it would have been like Adamville. You know, like... That would have been pretty cool. You know, y'all are going to come visit Adamville because I was like the first person here. And that name, that's me. You know, this whole place is named after me. And that's just kind of the way it is, you know. So those, these three sons of Noah, and from them came the people who were scattered over the earth. So basically, they just started. That was the command of God, man, be fruitful, multiply, and scatter over the face of the earth. And they did a really good job right up until the Tower of Babel. And right at the Tower of Babel, they said, no, we don't want to scatter out anymore. Let's build this huge tower into heaven so we will be united. And thus, they defied the words of the Lord. We don't care what he thinks. We know he wants us to spread out. But no, we're much more powerful and much more unified if we stay right here. Let's build a big old tower to heaven. So they defied the word of the Lord that they had at that time. But in the beginning, it worked out pretty good. These were the three sons of Noah, and from them the people who were scattered over the earth. So they moved out and started naming these lands after each of these people. Now go to the next verse. Noah, a man of the soil, proceeded to plant a vineyard. When he drank some of its wine, and it was obviously a lot of his wine, he became drunk and lay uncovered inside his tent. Okay, next verse. Ham, and just to make sure you didn't miss it four verses ago in parentheses, Ham, the father of Canaan, saw his father's nakedness and told his two brothers outside. But Shem and Japheth took a garment and laid it across their shoulders. And what did they do? They walked backwards into the tent and covered their father's nakedness. Their faces were turned the other way so that they would not see their father's nakedness. When Noah awoke from his wine and found out what his youngest son, Ham, the father of Canaan, had done to him, now dramatic pause right here, he said, okay, what's he going to say? Ham, I can't believe you did this to me. He's no. He says, cursed be Canaan. Now, what did 
Canaan do? Canaan didn't go in there and see this. And so, you know, this is like, did he really just go in and see and go, whoa, I wish I hadn't have seen that? And walk out and then told his brothers and then, you know, did, is it just some little thing where he didn't, uh, he just didn't cover it like he should have or, or something, something happened here? Well, one of three things happened, okay? Now, this is where I got bogged down looking into some commentaries and stuff like, you know, the way it reads, it sounds like just some sort of voyeurism. Like, he went in there and he saw, and then the, the, that word kind of means like a consistent gaze. He looked to gaze as with some sort of sexual intent, okay? Now, maybe that's true, you know, which, but, but I think about the, the story of David. Now, if David had been on that rooftop... And Saul, Bathsheba, now if he had said, whoa, I need to just get in the battle, you know, would he have been punished just for that look? Well, no, he was punished because he just kept taking it one step forward. So, so Bible scholars believe that, that this story right here, one of three things happened. One, it's just very general like it, like it reads, you know, he came in and he saw, he went and told his brother maybe making fun of it or something like that. And, and the brother said, no, you just, don't, you just don't do that. Or he saw with that intent and maybe, you know, there was even some sort of paternal taking advantage rape of his father. Some even believe that. But... Because the only other place that this uncovering is seen is in the Levitical law. Look in Leviticus chapter 20, verse 11. The man who lies with his father's wife has uncovered his father's nakedness. Okay, So in context right here, uncovering your father's nakedness means, well, daddy's out Maybe now I can take advantage of mom. Okay? Now, for this to be so huge, cursed be Canaan. Okay? Something huge had to happen that we're not really given the details. It's one of these three things. It had to be. But here's the consequences. Both of them shall be surely put to death. Their blood shall be upon them. So man, it's, this is death penalty by the time you get to the Levitical law, but the Levitical law hasn't been written yet. But even in Noah's heart, he said, this thing that you've done ought not to have been done. And guess who's going to pay the price for it? You, Ham, no, your son and all the descendants will pay the price for what has been done, lest you think that your sin only affects you. No, it affects your family, your descendants, the people around you. And you think about us in the United States, our anything goes sexual society that we live in. We want our rights, we want this, and we demand it, and we're going to take it by force. Who will really pay the price for all of that? 
It won't be the people who are receiving what they think of the benefits or the pleasure out of all this. It will be the next generation and the generation after that. He did not say, cursed be you, Ham, I can't believe you did this to me. No, cursed be Canaan, your son, and all of his descendants after that. Okay, So a very big deal what happened here that, that when we read, it just, it just doesn't seem like that big of a deal, man. He walked in and he saw dad naked and he was like, went out and maybe he made fun to his brothers. And brothers said, you didn't cover him up? Well, you, do you have no respect, man? You know, and so they go in and they cover him up. And then it sounds like, wow, cursed be Canaan because of that. But maybe, just maybe, Noah had in mind from the beginning, listen, Adam, Adam's sin, Adam partaking of that fruit of the tree of knowledge of good and evil poisoned all of our hearts for God. And whatever this is, Ham, that you have in your heart is pure evil for you to take advantage of me like you did. And you know what? Just like Adam poisoned the whole race with his sin. With your action, you've a, you have poisoned your kid and their descendants and that whole land wherever he moves. So we go to Genesis chapter 17. Okay, and in steps this guy named Abram. When Abram was 99 years old, okay, and Abram had already made all of his mistakes that we know about in the Bible. He lied twice to the rulers of the country that he was in because he thought he was protecting his wife, but really he was protecting um, himself. And, you know, they ended up having, you know, trying to get with his wife and they found out the hard way through God sending plagues and doing these things that, that they were really husband and wife. And so, you know, Abram had already done that twice. Didn't learn his lesson the first time. And after God promised him that he would have all these descendants, he has already taken Hagar as a, as a, as a surrogate wife and got her pregnant and had Ishmael. And he still hasn't had his own kid. And so all this stuff, all these failures, Abram has already experienced. And he was 99 years old. And the Lord appeared to him and said, I am God Almighty. Walk before me blameless. And he's already got all these things that he could be blamed for if God really wanted to. And he said, listen, I know you got all these things racked up against you. He said, but I want you to know I am God Almighty and I declare you blameless because of your faith in me. And I'm going to confirm my covenant between me and you. And I will greatly increase your numbers. Okay, so Abram realizes God's talking to him. And go to the next verse. Look what he immediately does. Fell face down. Of course, that's what any of us would do in the presence of God. You know, I love to hear all these faithless people go up when I get to heaven I'm going to ask God and he's going to tell me I'm like you ain't going to do nothing but fall face down on the ground because you will be in pure majestic holiness and you are the opposite that's what you'll do Abram fell face down 
And God said to him, as for me, this is my covenant with you. You will no longer be called Abram. Your name will be called Abraham. And notice how the breath of God, Ham, entered it. And notice what he's going to be called to redeem the sin of Ham. Because he is going to indwell the land of Canaan. He, I don't know if he knew this or not, but he ended up dwelling in Canaan. And it makes me think that the sin of Ham had to be some sort of, of homosexual sin or something like that. Because where he dwelt, right next door, his, his nephew Lot took off. And it was the city of Sodom and Gomorrah. Okay, so it had to be some sort of sexual sin that, that lived in Ham's heart to where Noah said, because of that, your kid and their descendants will be cursed. And God rained down fire from heaven on Sodom and Gomorrah, but there was the origin. And here's Abram saying, you know what? Your name, Abram, is called the Father is Exalted. Now, they named him that probably because his dad, Terah, had, uh, he was into all these gods, like the sun gods and all that stuff. So he, and he may have been one of the idol makers. So people may have thought of his dad as like really special in the spirit world. And so they name him Abram, thinking when they saw him that his earthly dad is exalted. It was kind of like I'm naming my kid to exalt me. And said, you know what? You And God comes along and he says, that may be the name that is given to you. But I'm going to put my breath, Ham, Abraham, and you will redeem the sin of Ham and the land of Canaan. I will put my breath into you and your name will now be called the father of a multitude. Okay, this is just, this just blows my mind. I, I mean, I love this stuff. You're no longer going to be called Abram. Your name will be Abraham. I will put my breath into you and you will redeem the land. For I have made you a father of many nations. I will make you very fruitful. Okay, next verse. I will make nations of you. And when I show you, when, I, when we get to the end of this, just wait till you see how many nations were made from this guy. And kings will come from you. I will establish my covenant as an everlasting covenant between me and you and your descendants after you for the generations to come. To be your God and the God of your descendants after you. Okay, now how long is this? <laughs> The whole land of Canaan, where you are now an alien. The whole land of Canaan, where you are now, and you are an alien. I mean, there it is. That's where he is when God speaks to him and names him Abraham. And he's in the land of Canaan, who Canaan had Ham as a dad. It's amazing. Where you are now an alien, I'm going to give this all to you as an everlasting possession to you and your descendants after you. And I will be their God. Abram went from the father is exalted, earthly father, to the father of a multitude. And so, here is just the highlight. Go to the next one where this picture is, okay? 
Where the line is drawn is what basically, you know, the scholars believe is the promised land. Okay, so this is the Middle East, and, you know, you got, kind of get North Africa all the way all the, over through here. But, guys, right here is Israel. And they've only been like a nation for just like a little over 60 years. And everybody around them hates them. These are all militant Islamic countries who would give anything to wipe that little tiny speck off the map, but they're, they're still there. In this, in this picture, I want you to think about this. 93% of the Middle East and North Africa are Muslim, okay? And they entail like 317 million people. The entire population of the United States make them all Muslim and put them all in these countries that extend from right here, if you can see the picture, all the way over into here. And that's how many people are in this land. Okay, now 3.7% are Christians. Okay, and most of them are the ones, if you ever read anything from Voice of the Martyrs, that are being murdered over here and slain you know, for their faith. It's kind of funny because one of the, the things we always, you know, like in America, like, well, I think God's going to return before things get bad. And like, before they get bad, for who? For you? Because they're already bad over here. I mean, you, you, would, you say you're a Christian. I mean, there's wives over here who are watching their husbands die and like saying, I am praying for you. You go and you give your life to God like a man. I mean, they're encouraging them. It's like a badge of honor that, that my husband gave his life for the cause of Christ. And so, and here we are in America. Well, God's going to come back before things get really bad. For who? They're already bad over here because they are outnumbered. As far as Jews are concerned, they're, uh, they're only like 1.6% of the whole land are Jews. And that's only about five, five and a half million people all concentrated right here. But the story behind how they got there, guys, astounding. Right before World War II, there were nine million Jews in Europe, okay, and there were about 15 million um, worldwide, including um, those uh, 9 million in Europe, okay. Now, now, what's the number you've always heard in the Holocaust? How many got wiped out? Somebody say 6 million, all right. 6 million Jews got wiped out in the Holocaust. Now, here they are, their land has been taken. I mean, they've, they've been forced from their homes. People have gone in and just ransacked their homes, taken everything of value of all the Holocaust things I've ever seen in my life. The one thing that will stand out probably until I die was this huge, huge box. And there's gold inside, and somebody has taken one little piece out, and it is wedding rings. It is people's symbol of their marriage that they gave, and this whole 
box is full of them. And when I saw that, I'm just like, oh my God, I don't know why it was that that made everything real. But I can imagine. They may, oh, you got that ring of value. Let me have it. And they just go throw it in this big old vat. And that's how they collect all of them. And it just broke my heart. Six million Jews exterminated. And so after that war was over, they needed someone to, somewhere to go. But nobody cared. Nobody cared if they had anywhere to go. Greed ruled almost like it does today and like you just don't have anywhere to go. So Britain tried their hardest to get them a spot in, in, this, in this land. And I mean, and they negotiated back and forth and they drew lines and like, it's nothing like what it was. I mean, they were just giving them little small pieces of land, much less than they have right now. And all these other countries were saying, no, they get no land. We want them dead. We hate them. They are our enemies. But guys, these guys got together. Okay, let me make sure I get my, uh, my numbers right, okay? And... They, they get this chunk of land basically given to them. And these are all people who have just been through the World War, been through these concentration camps, been through this. So all these Muslim nations get together and think, you know what? We can destroy them. I mean, they're weak. I mean, they're probably even thinking, oh, we got to do is big, uh, dig a big old hole and they'll stand in front of it and we'll be able to mow them down right in front of it, just like the Germans have done. But they encountered a much, much different army. Okay, Right after they declared their, um, their independence and named themselves Israel, fulfilling all kinds of Bible prophecy, okay, they had about 45,000 warriors, okay? Now, they can only arm about 30,000 of them. But these guys are specialized in, like, guerrilla warfare. They know how to take out a bunch of people, just, you know, one and take on a bunch. They know how to do it. And so they have about 45,000 people, can only arm about 30,000, and they're only good with ammo for about three days, and all these other countries are thinking they can send in 650,000. Guys, listen, this is 650,000 people against 45,000 who aren't even fully armed and who aren't equipped and, and nobody around them wants to help them to be equipped. Nobody wants to equip them. And so they actually called it, the, the Arabs called it the War of Annihilation. They went in and said, you know what, they got their little country named and they think that, that they're going to stay there. No. We're going to outnumber them ridiculously. We're going to go out in there, wipe them off the face of the planet. And guys, one of the coolest things, you want to talk about the way of a mighty man? The 15,000 unarmed people said, no problem. What we'll do is we'll find us a spot and we'll look for us an opening. And what most, guys, they only lost 10% of their army in this war. But these guys that were unarmed went out and they found their opportunity. They stormed the enemy, knocked them out, took their weapons, and armed themselves. Now, right after that realization, this guy came into uh, the alternative school. And I mean, he was just 
big, huge, like, like black dude, like, you know, and he could just tell he had it all together. I was kind of, you know, like, like a little bromance, you know. I was like, man, I've got like a little crush on this dude because he is like a man's man. I mean, he was like, he was just amazing. I was just sitting there like, wow, like, what are you doing here? Well, how can we help you? He said, he said, when I was in school, he said, my dad left. He said, and I was an angry young man. You know, so, so here's a weapon that the devil had. And he said, I took it out on my teachers. He said, I took it out on basically everybody that cared about me. He said, and I was in my 30s when I met this pastor. And man, he changed my life. He, he introduced me to God. He said, and I got my life together. He said, and what I want to do is I want to come in here to your school and I want to talk to young men and I want to make sure they never have to get on the track that I was on. And I was just like, Dude, you know, like this is this is so awesome. And here's this guy, you know, rushing the battle, man. He's taking what the enemy has has thought they he had to destroy lives. And he brings in this guy and he's gonna go and he's gonna talk to these kids and say, You don't have to take my way. I mean, to me, that's a picture of a mighty man. I'm gonna go into this alternative school and I'm gonna catch these guys early and I'm gonna take the devil's weapons from him and I'm gonna turn it around and I'm gonna use it back against him. That is the way. Of the mighty man that you storm the enemy. Notice David, man, he, he took an offensive approach. I have what it takes to destroy him. I don't need the king's armor. I don't need shields. I don't need anything. I've got my sling and I've got the perfect stone to sink into that giant's forehead. And he will go down. I mean... I just loved the picture and the parallel right after I had studied for this. And, and in fact, after Israel was declared a nation, they had five wars in 50 years. Outnumbered every single time. And every single time they fought, this got a little bit bigger. They took land every after every single victory. And today... All these countries still hate them. All these countries still want them off the map. But guess what? They're not going anywhere. And guys, I read what one of the rabbis said after the war when, when the Arab forces retreated. They said they loved to preach Leviticus 26. I'm like, I got to go read Leviticus 26. I will grant peace in the land. And you will lie down and no one will make you afraid. I will remove savage beasts from the land and the sword will not pass through your country. You will pursue your enemies and they will fall by the sword before you. Five of you will chase a hundred and a hundred of you will chase ten thousand and your enemies will fall by the sword right before your eyes. That is amazing, man. If that does not make you want to go gladiator, are you not entertained? What? What does, man? I mean, that, that is what it's all about. So, so here's the deal, okay? In 2350 B.C. is when they think that the flood occurred, okay? And then you were left with Noah and his sons... And then Ham 
did this whatever thing he was to or with or for, whatever his dad and the land was cursed. Abram comes along and he becomes Abraham living in this land and he redeems the land. Eventually, the Israelites take the promised land. Well, they don't obey God and they go through all this stuff, you know. And and in fact, they lived in the promised land, but then that famine came with the whole Egypt thing. And Joseph, you know, he was already in Egypt. There was a famine. Egypt was the only one that had stockpiled food. So they left Canaan and went there. And the thing is, Israel wasn't that bad. It should have been. It was salvation for Israel. But the thing is, once the famine was over, they should have gone back and dwelled their land that Abraham had redeemed. But they didn't. They liked being under the governmental support of Egypt, and they stayed there. And through a series of of pharaohs, they ended up becoming a slave to that. And then around 1500 B.C., which is 800 years after this, Moses comes on the scene, and he is about to go and take the promised land again. So look at the verse one more time that we started with. The Lord spoke to Moses. The Lord spoke to Moses saying, Send men to spy out the land of Canaan that I spent a whole morning talking about, which I am giving the children of Israel. Yes, it started out as a cursed land, but it has been redeemed, and I'm going to give it to you. And... Which I'm going, giving the children of Israel from each tribe of their fathers, you shall send a man, everyone, a leader among. So, will the men that lead, will they be mighty men? You know, what are we going to find when we, when we start diving into this? Well, you can read ahead or you can come back next week because that's what we're going to talk about. Let's pray. Dear Lord, thank you so much just for your word. And thank you for how much stuff is in here. The stuff that, that, that nobody knows about. If people will get in here and study, you will reveal things to individuals. And you'll show us things and open up our minds to where we'll just be amazed at you and all that you've done and all that you've accomplished. There are no more Philistines. There are no Babylonians. But there are Israelites. And they have their land and everybody around them hates them. Lord, and I offer up a prayer that I need to pray a lot more for the peace of Jerusalem. Lord, I pray that, Lord, that your hand will be upon these people and that that you will help them as you obviously are, that you you are with them, Lord. I just thank you for this word. I thank you for just being an awesome, amazing God. I thank you for this church, Lord. And I pray that your Holy Spirit will rest upon each of us this week. And we will be a light that so shines before men that others will see our good deeds and glorify you, our Father in heaven. In Jesus' name, amen.